Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday june 28th 2013 this week episode 290 comes to you from studio d in central city pennsylvania my name is radio joe hughes and joining me in the studio is roxy v val bender hello And joining us from the old Studio B in Carnegie, Pennsylvania. I'm not Carnegie, I'm sorry. McKee's Rocks is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. How are you, Joe? Good. We lost Cliff for a second there. Maybe he'll be right back. All right. And, of course, joining us a little later will be our technical director. He is in Carnegie, PA, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Today's segments include the IAQ radio trivia question, an interview with Brian McFarland of Legends Environmental Insurance. We're going to talk a little bit about the past, present, and future of environmental insurance issues. And then, of course, we'll have our halftime, thank our sponsors, come back to the interview, and go to our roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. And also, I'd like to add that Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years now, has been a sponsor for a long time. We appreciate their sponsorship. They are available. Information is available at legends-enviro.com. All right, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thank you, Joe. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in the answer. I'm sorry to report there were no correct answers to last week's trivia question. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, June 28, 2013, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their website at www.trsca.org. Now for today's IEQ Radio trivia question. Name the prominent American colonialist who was active in forming and founding insurance companies in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Brian McFarland joins us today. He's got over 17 years of experience, probably more like 20 now or 22, in sales and business management. He is currently the Vice President of Sales for Legends Environmental Insurance Services. He previously served as Director of Business Development for a group called Environmental Support Solutions, and he was involved with training and uh, business development for Environmental Support Solutions for quite a few years. His current primary responsibilities with Legends are the management of insurance programs for environmental health and safety associations and sales management. Brian's got an interesting background. He's got a 
sociology and pre-law degree from Rowan University and also a BS in environmental sciences from Rowan and then a master's in um, education administration from Rowan and he's here to join us from Phoenix, Arizona. Let's get a little music for Brian. High-risk insurance. Brian, do we have you on the line? Oh, you sure do, Joe. How are you today? Great. Good to have you. Hey, let's, you know, let's go right into the song. Um, is environmental insurance for contractors and consultants considered high-risk insurance? Uh, it definitely is. I mean, most carriers would consider it high-risk insurance, uh, so much so that standard carriers, what we would call admitted carriers, the carriers you've probably heard of the most, like State Farm, Farmers, uh, all state even, uh, they do not write insurance for environmental contractors and consultants. It's on, it ends up going into what's known as the surplus lines market, and, and those are carriers that really specialize in, in covering uh, what most carriers call high-risk companies. Uh-oh. I don't know what happened, Joe. lost Brian. Can you hear me? I oh, can hear you. you. You're back. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, we, we lost you there, lost Brian. You, you were kind of so you were... in mid-answer, and all of a sudden the line went dead. So. Yeah, it was sur- oh, okay. Surplus Perhaps carriers, I'm... I believe you were saying. Surplus carriers, and, and then we lost you. Okay. I'm not sure what you heard there, but uh, uh, essentially, Joe, how I answered that question is, yes, it's definitely considered high risk. Uh, typically, uh, what we know of as Main Street carriers or, or admitted market carriers like State Farm, Uh, 
you know, they, they might be performing work where it's a house that's being remodeled or a building that's being remodeled or a school or, you know, they're coming in after someone's been there, and that's usually a contractor or a consultant uh, typically coming in after someone's been there, and uh, they all get named in the suit. So I really haven't seen a, uh, a situation where it's either consultant or a contractor. We're, we're seeing a, a high volume of claims on both sides. You know, Brian, I, I want to uh, kind of clarify for me and maybe for the listeners, when, when we talk about environmental insurance, we're talking about, at least in my mind, people who perform things like water damage restoration, fire cleanup, um, indoor environmental quality investigations, and mold remediation and investigations. And then, of course, you have your asbestos and lead, etc., is that pretty much the group you're talking about? I mean, that's pretty much the group I'm talking about when I talk about environmental contractors and consultants. You know, I would also throw in there guys that do soil remediation and testing, uh, earth movers, that kind of thing. But, you know, environmental insurance is a much broader field. But, you know, what we're talking about today is really how you define it. Okay, uh, let me add one more. What about people who clean HVAC systems? Is there special insurance for that group as well? You know, absolutely. You know, a lot of uh, uh, HVAC system cleaners or duct cleaners um, aren't necessarily carrying all the proper insurance, uh, especially contractors' pollution liability. Uh, on every general liability policy that's written out there, which is what most of them carry, there's something called a total pollution exclusion. And to kind of summarize that real briefly, it pretty much says that all work associated with or all property damage or bodily injury claims Associated work with work, either neutralizing, detoxifying, or cleaning up any any pollutants uh, is excluded from the policy. Uh, so then you have to define what pollutant is, and most policies define pollutant as any solid, liquid, or gas. So then you have, you know for these guys who are out there doing uh, HVAC cleaning or duct cleaning, you got to ask what they're doing. They're cleaning up solids, liquids, or gases inside the ducts. So uh, pretty clearly, you know, a, a significant bodily injury or property damage claim from that has the potential to uh, be excluded from the general liability policy, and they should certainly be looking at contract solution liability uh, to go along with what they're currently carrying. So, so if the intent is as a contractor, like I, my son's a, a look, he's a carpenter, he does general contracting. You know, as a part of his job, he cleans up after himself and he may clean up some pre-existing you know damage that was uh, caused by let's say a piece of plaster fell or something like that but the intent is not so much cleanup as it is to do remodeling or etc is that kind of how the dividing line is the intent of what you're trying to do yeah i think that's definitely the dividing line what the intent is right that you know in that situation they're just cleaning up after themselves on a work site uh, they're not they're not really trying to clean the environment uh, or, or provide a safer environment. So in, in that situation, they probably don't have as much of a contractor's pollution liability exposure. But certainly contractors do have a, a pollution exposure. Uh, you know, they're always carrying chemicals to and from sites, uh, whether that's paint or solvents. Uh, uh, they, you know, they always have those on site, and they're utilizing those. So even a standard trade contractor has a pollution exposure just in a different way. Uh, typically, you're not seeing small contractors carry it, but certainly the big ones all are. Hmm. You know, Brian, you mentioned this total pollution exclusion, and you, you know, you talked about the the contractor neutralizing, detoxifying, uh, or cleaning up. Isn't that new terminology? Uh, in, you know, in 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 the policy, I don't, I don't remember that. You know, that wording being in there before. That's pretty much been there in, a, in the ISO form, which is the Insurance Standards Organization, since 1980 or 1981. Uh, the verbiage has changed a little bit over time, but the intent has been the same. Huh. So uh, although, although the verbiage has changed, the intent of that exclusion has been the same since 1981. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, that's really when the environmental insurance industry was born. Uh, is during that time frame when that total pollution exclusion went in, carriers or, or uh, people on the forefront of the industry, like my uh, partner Bill Loman, you know, really started to create those policies or those forms to add coverage back in for those pollution exposures or those exposures excluded 
by the uh, total pollution exclusion. And I, I assume that was around the same time people started doing asbestos abatement, or actually it seems a little before that, but is that a big part of the reason yeah, they that, were developed? That's, that's about the same time, that's right. You know, when uh, uh, asbestos was certainly the driver, uh, not the only driver, but one of the, the major drivers uh, to putting that exclusion in the penal policies, and, you know, that kind of born the market here for, uh, uh, you know, environmental insurance. You know, Brian, you know, when we started uh, a couple of minutes ago, the, the, the interview, you know, you were talking about claims and that claims were up and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, for, for me and Joe uh, and, and really our listening audience, you know, that term claim is really, really general. I was wondering if you can be a little bit more specific in terms of what contractors and consultants are being sued for. You know, what do the people that they're working for allege you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all the times it's faulty work. I mean, a, a good example, we just got a claim in uh, the other day for something that happened 12 years ago. Uh, a contract, uh, contractor and consultant are named in a, uh, a claim where they did some asbestos abatement in a elementary school uh, 12 years ago, and an 18-year-old boy just died of mesothelioma. And uh, the family is suing the contractor and the consultant uh, who did the remediation and the consulting work on that school. Um, so that's kind of a, a typical claim that we kind of see come in. Uh, other things are, you know, where we've seen just general claims where maybe somebody breaks the pipe, uh, leaves a hole in the floor, knocks a, uh, you know, a picture off of a wall. We've really seen an increase in the number of those claims. I think those are all economy-related. Uh, and then we see a lot of a lot of claims on the consulting side where someone says that they failed to either disclose what was actually there or failed to discover what was actually there. And you know, I, I certainly see that a, a lot on the IEQ side. Uh, where and, and oftentimes, when those types of claims are filed uh, or come to a consultant, you know, I, I've never had a consultant say, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's probably right. I get that. <laughs> you know, typically they're saying, you know, this this is total BS, and, uh, uh, you know, we didn't do anything wrong, and they have all the records to prove it, and they have the lab reports and those types of things. But that claim still ends up costing the insurance carrier, you know, between twenty to $50,000 to defend. So typically what we're talking about with claims in the indoor quality world, uh, a lot of times it is really associated, associated with defense costs. Somebody's saying that you either didn't do something right, you didn't remediate right, or you failed to perform uh, what you said you were going to do, uh, and they got sick or you damaged their property. And uh, it's typically the insurance carriers that jump in and hire some lawyers or have their own lawyers take a look at it, end up fighting that in court in some way, uh, and that's really where a lot of the money is spent here uh, in the claims. Uh, yeah, fight. If I could take you back, you know, you mentioned uh, that, you know, in this one asbestos claim that uh, the abatement was performed many, many years ago and the contractor's being sued now. Uh, you know, I, I guess that brings up the, the difference between occurrence and, and claims made coverage. Can you uh, explain to our audience uh, that difference and, and, you know, why it's important? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um good way to think about occurrence coverage is whoever you're insured with for that time is always going to be responsible for a claim that arises from that time. So let's say you're insured with uh, American Safety this year in 2013, and they're your insurance carrier, uh, and you're insured with them on, a, on an occurrence basis. If 10 years from now you have a claim against that policy that was written on an occurrence basis, American Safety would still be the carrier that provided the defense and ultimately the coverage uh, for that claim. Uh, on the claims made side, it doesn't work quite that way. The carrier is only responsible for a claim uh, during the period they insure you while they insure you. Uh, so let's say you're insured, you're a new company and you insure with American Safety this year, uh, and next year you move to another carrier. Uh, well then, American Safety, if you're written on a claims-made basis, would no longer be responsible for a claim that happened in 2013. Your new carrier 
has the potential to be responsible for that claim so long as they picked up something called a retroactive date. And a retroactive date is written on all claims-made policies, and that's the date that they're going to cover back to, or your current carrier is covering back to. When you switch from one carrier to another, the new carrier often will pick up the retroactive date uh, from that policy. Now, currently, all E&O insurance is written on a claims-made basis. So it's, uh, there isn't a current E&O insurance out there. So for those consultants out there that have a true E&O or professional liability exposure, when they move from one company to another, uh, retroactive dates are extremely important to, one, stay on top of it, to understand what they are, uh, as well as to make sure that they carry it forward with them. Uh, second thing about retroactive dates or claims paid insurance is when you stop carrying insurance, let's just say you're, you know, you're having a bad year and you don't want to carry insurance anymore because maybe you don't want to pay for it, or you're going to close your company, uh, that coverage goes away. So if it's written on the claims made basis and you no longer carry coverage forward, all of your past coverage is basically expired and no longer exists. Now, you can buy insurance to cover that, which is often called tail coverage or extended reporting period. And, and typically, we'll coach our clients to maybe purchase that for two, three, seven years, uh, depending on what they're comfortable with. And, and uh, they can extend that time frame out that that carrier who had it on a claims-made policy is, would potentially cover a claim. You know, if we go back to the example that you had of the insurance claim that you had with this asbestos that was removed from the school years ago and, and you know, parents claimed that their child uh, you know, died of mesothelioma, you know, somehow was, was exposed in the school. Would Could that claim have been different um, had it been on a... Uh, you know, different type of policy. I mean, I mean, could, could that, I mean it ended up that the contractor is covered. Uh, could it have been a situation where he was not covered? Oh, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of scenarios there that, uh, you know, I, and I'm not, I, I don't think the insurance carrier has made a coverage determination yet, you know, okay. whether or not coverage exists. So, uh, I, I don't know that, you know, they've done yet that yet, but uh, uh, that certainly could have gone a different way. You know, that, one, they could, there could have been a gap in insurance if it was written on a claims-made basis, and then that retroactive date might be shorter than 12 years ago. Uh, that that happens quite often when a uh, you know a contractor or consultant moves to uh, a different agency that maybe doesn't specialize or understand their risk, and they just start on a new with a new policy and don't take a look at you know their, their past insurance. Um, so certainly that kind of risk could happen. Uh, or, you know, it's potential that a lot of asbestos coverage 12 years ago was written on a claims-made basis, uh, and now it's written on a current basis. Um, when they do that, there's something called notice coverage, which uh, essentially takes that retroactive date and then creates a form or creates a way for the carrier that's making it into an occurrence form, so going from claims-made to an occurrence. Uh, they pick up that retroactive date forever, so they become responsible for all the previous policies. Uh, if that wasn't done correctly, there's certainly the potential for there to be no coverage in that scenario as well. Huh. So it could be pretty tricky for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. That that right. example kind of sent shivers down my spine. Uh, you know, Brian, <laughs> I, I did a lot of asbestos consulting back in the... 90s 80s and 90s actually and i'm wondering how far back can that go since you know asbestos has a, a latency period with respect to people getting disease that can be up to 40 years yeah that's that's uh you know it, i'm not, i'm no attorney okay, okay. So, okay. uh i i don't think it, you know i could give the best answers to that but you know, obviously, uh, at least to 12 years is we're, we're experiencing a claim now, but I, I've even seen litigation carry back 20 years. Hmm. So it's it's uh, certainly something that you may continually be held responsible for. Uh, a lot of insurance carriers will, will try to limit the retroactive coverage back to 10 years. And uh, they'll state, you know, some statute of limitations, those types of things. But, uh, you know... It, if you can, when you're when you're negotiating with your carrier, you should always try to negotiate it back to the first time that you had a policy, 
so that it's, it's picking up. You know, if you've been in business 20 years, you want that retroactive date to go back 20 years. Hmm. Interesting. Now, I'm just curious, do you see many asbestos-related claims? Uh, we, we do um, see some uh, asbestos-related claims. And we, we probably insure more environmental consultants and contractors uh, than anyone else in the country. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we see the same types of claims that we see in the IEQ world, uh, that they fail to either notify the client of the asbestos or they fail to take the proper samples uh, or they fail to remediate correctly. Um, so I, I would say we see the same type of volume in, in asbestos-related work that we do in the uh, uh, standard indoor air quality work as well. Now, let's go back for a moment to the claims made versus occurrence policy issue. If I heard you right, you said that consultants, well, anybody who gets errors and omissions insurance, which, you know, consultants and contractors can get that, will we'll have to get a claims made policy. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Okay. What about contractors' pollution liability insurance I, as I understand it, it's a lot easier to get occurrence policies now than it has been in the past. Is that accurate as well? Oh, that is that is definitely accurate. I mean, we've certainly seen. Uh, I mean, when we're talking specifically about mold or asbestos or any environmental work, um, you know, when when carriers first start covering it, they typically write it on a claims made basis. Uh, so when they first start writing contractors' pollution liability for mold. Uh, Everyone was all the carriers were writing that on a claims made basis. The ones who would write it. Uh, once they become more and more comfortable with the exposure, with the amount of claims that they're going to experience, uh, they'll start writing that on a current form. Uh, and, and certainly, we've seen that trend here in the last three to four years. Uh, most of the contractors' pollution liability out there for just about any environmental service is written on in the current form. Uh, a lot of companies out there that do remediation work or contracting work uh, have started to migrate towards that policy. Uh, but again, I've seen it written, uh, you know, poorly over and over where they didn't place nose coverage uh, on their old claims made policies and therefore really lost coverage for all their previous work up until that date. Hmm. So that was covered under, under that policy. So, it's real important for contractors when they're making that move um, to, to really understand what happens with that retroactive date and make sure it is covered. But I'm, as I understand it, errors and omissions insurance has been available, I mean, for as long as pollution liability, if not longer, because you have architects and engineers carry that as well. Yep. But I, I, is it because of the area that we're in that it's only available in claims made, or is it no, it doesn't matter what it is, Joe. It's uh, all areas of emissions and, and just about all fields is, is written on a, I see. On a claims made basis. Okay. Yeah. I guess there's just, it's very difficult to determine what your potential liability is down the road. Is that why? Exactly right. Because they're, they're essentially carrying that, that, that inherent risk for a longer period of time. I see. I see. And, and I would imagine a lot of that is because the consultants are pulled in even when they weren't at fault or there wasn't a problem there, but they are, if they're a part of the project, they get pulled in every time. Yeah, we see that all the time, you know, that they just, uh, even when they're not part of the project or, you know, or if they were there for a day, you know, they might've had nothing to do with the work that was, it was associated with, but they, they get pulled into the claim. Sure. Interesting. Interesting. Cliff, anything before we break for halftime? Um, no, we can break. I think this is a perfect time. Let's break for halftime. Thank our sponsors. We'll be back with the second half of our interview with Brian McFarland. Great, great stuff on insurance, and uh, look forward to the second half. We'll be right back. Thank you. Thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization 
dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanclenfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back with the second half of our interview with Brian McFarland from Legends Environmental Insurance Services. Brian, we, we were talking a little bit about, you know, the, the past, present, and future of environmental insurance. I just kind of wanted to fi finish that up a little by asking, uh, you, you've been with Legends, is, was it 10 years now or a little longer? Yeah, just at the end of 2003, I joined Legends. And uh, just before, I actually worked for them for about five years uh, doing some consulting work uh, prior to that. So it feels like I've been there for a little longer than 10, but uh, yeah, 10 years officially. Now, back then, with respect to at least mold insurance for people who do mold remediation, as I understand, it was kind of tougher to get and uh, more expensive. Would, would you agree that it was a little tougher at the time and, and a little more expensive, or am I, you know, I don't, I don't oh, do you know, that. You're, you're, you're exactly correct. I mean, back in the uh, we all re remember that saying, mold is gold. And uh, uh, back in those days, 2001 to 2005, uh, coverage was real restrictive, what was out there, and uh, qualifying for coverage was uh, a, a little harder. Uh, and then, uh, of course, the cost of coverage was significantly more than it is today. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, probably as much as 300% more than it is today. Wow. Uh, so the rates were were considerably higher than than they are now. So over time, they've come down, and I it seems like it's easier to get as well. Um, let's talk about the the immediate kind of the la this last two or three years, and maybe the next two or three years. Do you, do you see things continuing along that line at least, or, or has there been a recent change? I'm sorry, I, I couldn't really hear that, Jeff. Can you repeat that question? Yeah, I'm just I'm wondering over the last two or three years, has it has it continued to uh, level off, or do you think it's going back up again with respect to how difficult? Yes. Thanks. That's what I thought you said. I uh, appreciate you repeating it. Um, essentially, the the market is starting to change, uh, uh, and, and it's starting to harden. Insurance goes through what we call hardened soft cycles. Uh, often independent completely of the economy, uh, and uh, really a lot of it depends on the financial stability uh, of the carriers themselves. But we're starting to enter what's known as a hard market for insurance. Uh, so rates are starting to climb back up. Uh, 2012, we probably saw an overall uh, maybe 6 to 8% increase in the environmental market. And that, that trend continues again here in 2013. Uh, we're starting to see an increase as well. Um, when insurance markets harden or, or the rates start to go up, uh, also what goes along with that rate increase is that coverage becomes more restrictive, uh, limited access. Carriers that may have started to write it in the past uh, you know, may not be interested anymore because they start to make money doing what they're better at. Uh, because they can charge more money for it. Hmm. So you know, the, the, the number of carriers that write the coverage starts to decrease, or they really decrease the actual coverage that they're providing. Uh, so they may not stop writing contractor mold remediation contractors altogether, but they might uh, you know, really limit the coverage that they're, they're giving them without even letting them know. The 
changing policy forms. Uh, I look back at 2003 uh, when I started with Legends. At that time, there were four to five carriers that were, would write old coverage. Um, at the end of 2011, uh, I think our, our final count was about 27. Hmm. So, so now we're starting to see that go down. You know, we're probably going to settle somewhere in the teens uh, here in the in the next year or so. You know, we might end up with, end up with 12 or 13. Uh, is kind of what I'm guessing. You know, it'll start to come back down as the market hardens and uh, carriers jump out to do what they're better at. So they're they're doing other things and more profitable things. Does does thing does uh, events like uh, hurricane or superstorm or whatever it was, Sandy? Does that affect coverage in any way? You know, it, it does. Uh, those types of events, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're huge losses for insurance companies. Uh, and they get to what's known as reinsurance companies. So when those reinsurance companies, uh, reinsurance carriers are more or less carriers for your insurance carrier. So they insure the insurance carrier. And once those reinsurance carriers take hits, there's much, you know, there's many fewer uh, reinsurance carriers than there are carriers. So you have a lot of them insured with, uh, you know, one or two reinsurance carriers. When they start to take hits, you know, like big, you know, hundred million dollar, two hundred million dollar hits that get taken with Superstorm Sandy, uh, you know, ultimately they pass that back to the carriers, which gets passed back to. Uh, you know, the insurance or the companies that buy coverage. So those things certainly do have an impact. And, you know, I, I think that's uh, one of the drivers that's uh, helping to push us into a hard market, but certainly not the only one. I see. I'm, I'm curious, what kind of new trends do you see with respect to people asking for coverage of kind of different um, endeavors, you know, or, meth lab cleanup or grow up or i mean are, are those kind of growing areas um and and what are some that i might be missing uh you know we're definitely seeing the meth lab uh work out there you know what we're really starting to see a trend in, a, in the environmental insurance is uh you know builders are starting to move dirt again so you know we're really starting to see the construction industry come back and uh and we write policies for that industry as well but Ultimately, that trickles down to the uh, you know the IEQ and contractors and consultants. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of the contractors out there now are doing pre-treat for mold. Uh, so we're starting to see a lot, a lot more companies ask for that. Uh, starting to see you know a lot of uh, uh, a lot of the industry or consultants move towards doing energy rating. Uh, so I'm starting to see a lot more requests for that. And, a lot of that's driven by, you know, there, there's actually yellow iron out moving out there now. So there's uh, you know, homes being built, buildings being built, and, uh, and I really think that's starting to move the industry along. Do you see anybody asking for, like, vapor intrusion coverage for consultants? You know, I, I haven't seen that uh, too often. Uh, typically, we're just going to, uh, you know, cover that under uh, standard policy. Uh, okay. So yeah. it's, it's not currently an exclusion, but I, I've seen that service being offered, and I haven't really seen the insurance carriers move away from it too much. You know, Cliff had a, what I thought was a great question here in his list of things he wanted to ask about. And Cliff, I hope you don't mind if I grab this one, but That's fine. how risky is the business of being an indoor environmental consultant? I mean, I I know quite a few people, and in fact, our own technical director doesn't doesn't even carry insurance and. Uh, I'm just wondering how how risky is indoor environmental consulting. Now, I think for him, he's got you know he's got a pretty solid uh, uh, background, and and he doesn't really do as much as he used to, and he limits himself to things that aren't you know out, uh, out in left field. But I'm just curious how from your perspective is this an in, is it worse than being a contractor? Less better? Well, I, I would say you have less claims activity on the consulting side, but the risk is still as high. Okay. No, it, it's. I, I truly believe it's not uh, if it's when uh, you're going to be sued as a, you know in the environmental industry. Um, and uh, you know, for the consultants, especially the really good ones out there, uh, you know, who carry or may not be carrying coverage, uh, really what 
are choosing to do is to, you know, self-insure their defense costs. Mm-hmm. Right? So when they do get sued, they're, they're, they're offering to self-insure that defense cost for, for those attorneys they're going to need to hire. Now, average defense right now is going into about fifty grand. Uh, you know, a claim drags out a couple of years, you're you know several hundred thousand dollars. So I, I really do think it's a, it's a matter of when, not if, and uh, whether or not you know you you choose to uh, ultimately uh, you know, try to defense cost yourself. And then of course you know if if you are found negligent, the associated risk with that, right? They could take everything you know. Well, what? How do you protect yourself from from lawsuits? I mean, you're the insurance guy. You don't want people getting claims against them, um, you know, because that's obviously not good for, for business, <laughs> you know. And the insurance companies you know, don't like that. People say that all the time, and and to be honest, uh, you know, we write insurance that claims are covered, right? So you know, we 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 believe that you know we write insurance that people have coverage for when a claim is covered. Um, you know, I, I'm certainly no attorney, and I, there is no way to protect yourself. From not having a claim filed against you. Gotcha. Uh, anybody could at any time, uh, even in, in your line of business and, and right here on this show, Joe, say, oh, I heard an expert say that I should do this. I'm going to sue the IEQ radio show. Right? Right. right. Well, let's, so not, let's time, not give them any ideas. Any time that can occur. <laughs> and uh, I'm not giving anybody ideas. I'm just saying that that could occur at any time. Sure. Yeah, but me and Joe are both mobbed up, so they're going to have to deal with Guido. <laughs> we have our own form of insurance here. <laughs> Look, there's no way to absolve yourself from the risk of uh, of having a claim filed or being sued. You know, what you really want to do is protect yourself in a way that uh, you know ultimately uh, provides defense costs and coverage if you are found negligent. Okay. Uh, you know, we always suggest that people really work with smart attorneys. Uh, like David Governo to, to develop our contracts and, uh, uh, you know, work from that side as well so that they can limit some of their liability through contractual means. But certainly that doesn't mean that uh, you're not going to be taken to court. Gotcha. Yeah, could we, uh, you know, change direction just for a minute? Uh, I'd like to talk about, you know, multiple chemical sensitivity litigation and you know whether that's increasing, waning, or, or staying pretty much the same. And uh, then I have a second part to it. So if you answer that first, uh, we'll move on to the second. You know, I I, I would I would honestly say I I haven't seen much of it recently. Okay. And back when we called it six building six building syndrome, uh, you know, it was it was a little more prevalent. Um, but I, I would say that. You know, I haven't seen as much litigation out there uh, as maybe we did six, seven years ago. But I, I think that's waning. I, I think the awareness is up, so so I'm not sure that's going to continue to last forever. But uh, certainly the uh, the risk associated with having a claim filed seems to be going down. Or the likelihood, I don't know about the risk, maybe the likelihood of having a claim filed uh, against consultants for that is going down. Uh, but as you know, that's a uh, that's even a hard thing to diagnose. Right? Oh no, ab- absolutely. And uh, in terms of remediation contractors and and you know cleaning and restoration contractors, you know they need to use you know cleaning products and antimicrobials and coatings and uh, you know decorating uh, coatings and and so on and so forth is, is is part of their work. What type of insurance coverage? protects a contractor uh, against the building occupants saying that they were sickened or harmed, you know, by products that were used as, as part of the cleaning and remediation process? Well, you know, it depends on how the claims filed or what they're actually claiming, but in that scenario, it could be a general liability claim or it could be a contractor's pollution liability claim. Uh, but ultimately, that has the potential to go back to a product, you know, product manufacturer claim. Right, for manufacturer's product liability claim, so long as the product was installed correctly. Right? Right. Right. So you know that you're really those types of claims uh, become pretty heavy. Uh, investigating whether or not the product was uh, used and installed correctly, uh, and uh, depending on that, it could be a general liability or a contractor's pollution liability claim. Uh, let's say they put too much solvent on something that has the potential to be a pollution liability claim. 
and then uh, and, you know if everything was done correctly and it's off-gassing too much uh, or, or more than the manufacturer said that it would, that likely you know would go back to a product liability claim. Uh, but those those are the ones that are drug out for years, and those are the ones that uh, you really want to make sure. You know, those are the reasons you have insurance because those, when they drag out for years like that, those are expensive claims uh, just on the uh, legal cost alone. Are you seeing those things rise, uh, stay the same, or decrease? You know, I, I really do think they're they're more or less staying the same. Uh, you know, we're certainly not seeing uh, a big rise in those types of claims currently, but uh, they're certainly not going away either. Okay. You know, Brian, I want to kind of maybe get away from insurance just a little bit. Well, no, this does this does affect insurance. I'm, I get people that want to get a certification of some kind because they say their insurance company wants that. You said earlier there are now, oh, 27 maybe carriers. Let's say 20 carriers where there used to be four or five carriers. I haven't heard that as much lately as I did in the past. Are the carriers less... Uh, demanding with respect to certifications, and and if they do demand some kind of certification, are they picky at all about what type of certification? You know, a, a, an online, you know, uh, send them your money certification versus a third party certification. Yeah, no, I, I think the carriers are the right. There's two parts to that answer, uh, and really, some carriers aren't aren't caring at all. They're just, uh, you know, they're just writing coverage for anyone that comes along and asks for it. Um, but when you look at those policies or read through those policies, there's very little coverage in the policy. So in other words, there's lots of exclusion uh, and not much chance of the insurance carrier paying a claim. Um, so, but those carriers that are writing good, legitimate coverage, uh, typically they cost a little bit more. Um but, uh, you know, they're, they're still looking for uh, properly trained, properly uh, proof of that training, properly certified individuals. Uh, you know, typically third-party certifications, uh, the really good ones that have a good understanding of it uh, are asking for that as well. They're really looking to that um, and kind of trying to steer away from that online training instant certification. I'm curious, Brian, if you could... Where do you see this? I mean, you you deal you, you've you've got a unique perspective on the industry in general. All right, let's let's break it into two sides: the contracting side and, and the consulting side. Do you see the contracting side of indoor environmental contracting, water damage, HVAC cleaning, mold remediation, asbestos lead? Do you see that as a growing industry, a stable industry, or a shrinking industry? I think it's pretty stable. I think what we're going to see is it will shrink um, as the economy improves. You know, what we've seen over the last you know, six years, is six, seven years, I guess, is really as, uh, you know, trade contractors um, were, were running into less opportunity to, to do what they wanted to do, you know, maybe remodeling work or laying carpet, whatever that happens to be, uh, they started to take on other services and, some of them got into restoration work. Some of them got into, uh, you know, mold remediation and what have you. I, I think as the economy improves, and we're seeing signs of that now, uh, a lot of those guys will go back to doing what they used to do. So from a pure number standpoint or volume of contractors that are out there, I think we'll probably see that shrink, uh, and uh, which, which would be good news for the guys who are really committed to this market. Um, on the consultant side, uh, you know, I, I don't really see that happening because it, you really didn't see a bunch of consultants jump into those outside of home inspectors. Uh, but a lot of home inspectors have probably determined that the environmental arena is a, a better arena for them than uh, the ones that we insure that have come from there. Uh, don't want to go back to home inspecting. So I don't think we'll see a lot of uh, shrinkage in that. But, uh, you know, we might see some of those consultants that used to do home inspections go back to do some of that work, uh, you know, as the market turns around and, you know, we're starting to see that now, uh, the percentage of uh, home inspections that are or are insured that do both is, is going up. But I don't think they're going to abandon the environmental market like I, 
I, I think we'll see some of the contractors do. Cliff, do you have anything? I've got one more if you don't. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, with respect to home inspectors, Brian, what kind of insurance do they carry, and is that difficult to get? <laughs> um, a lot of home inspectors carry general liability and errors of admission. Not all carry general liability, but most states require errors of admission coverage. Uh, typical home inspector policies are pretty restrictive in coverage um, as far as what activities are covered, and typically only covering the inspector, not necessarily the company. Uh, so if they have a company form, they're really only covering the inspector, or if they have multiple inspectors, or they have multiple policies per inspector for each individual inspector. That's not a, a true across the board, but that's kind of a typical scenario. Um, those policies typically don't cover mold, radon, or some of the other things that uh, they might typically do as part of a, uh, what we call an environmental home inspection. Uh, some of those policies out there do include endorsements that you can buy for, let's say, radon or mold. Uh, but when you read through those endorsements, my experience has been it's been pretty limited coverage that they're providing uh, in that scenario. And if they're, they're they're really doing anything more than a tape sample for mold or something like that, it, it really doesn't have any coverage in it. Okay. Let me, let me you know, Brian, you know, you mentioned it. We've talked about errors and omissions. Uh, a couple of times, and you know, if you could define really for the, the, the listeners, is there a difference between an error and a, an omission and negligence? I mean, is there something different, or are they pretty much the same? Sure. Uh, well, an error is literally that making a mistake, right? Yeah. That, that could be done at any time during the job. Maybe you took a sample and you forgot to send it to the laboratory. That would certainly be an error. Uh, and the mission is having some information and failing to uh, uh, provide it uh, or knowing that you should have done something and failing to do it. Uh, negligence is proving both of those things, right? Oh, or either one of those things. I see. So that, that's really it. Um, you know, what we tell people all the time is if you ever give an opinion, you should have professional liability insurance. Okay. So what, what I think is a common trend in the uh, mold industry or IEQ industry, even the restoration industry has been this way for a while, is uh, contractors go out and do bids without ever having a consultant on the job. And, uh, you know, they'll give a bid, say, yes, that's mold, and no, it's not. Um, they've given a professional opinion at that point. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they're not carrying professional liability errors and omissions, they're, they're certainly opening themselves up to a huge amount of liability there. Hmm. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the roundup. Cliff, what do you think? Sounds good. All right. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up. Move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw high. Cut them out, ride them in, ride them in, let them out, cut them out, ride them in, raw high. so hard for me not to sing along I'll tell you I, I love to sing but I'm terrible at it so I'll spare the listeners on that Cliff hey let's, let's you should go. do Joe Cocker you could do that <laughs> <laughs> with a little help from my friends alright uh, let's get Dr. Dietrich Wow on the line here Val hello Dieter do we have you on the line yes I am uh, here and I listen carefully and boy every time I hear that uh, I get scared <laughs> I know I wonder about you sometimes Dieter I uh, get scared you know literally every job I ever did in my whole life somebody could have come and said hey you could have done and should have done that and maybe but that would have been also fine uh, every lecture I ever uh, every uh, I ever gave, somebody could hey you could have uh, um, covered that and why didn't you do that? And I said, well you know I only had an hour, but uh, you could have done that. So it seems that just about anything 
one does, uh, even if I have insurance, is not covered. We just heard that uh, you got to watch out of how much coverage you have. It reminds me of my car warranty. You know, I have a bumper-to-bumper warranty, and the only problem is anything that uh, breaks is not covered. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, that's a moving part. Yeah, my my transmission is a moving part. The doors are a moving part. My rearview mirror is a, a, a moving part. My seat is a moving part. Needless to say, the wheels and the engine and um, uh, the, the, uh, the the buttons that I use on my radio, they're moving parts, so they're all not covered. Wow. But I have a bumper to bumper. <laughs> and, I mean, the problem is that what, what I see is even if I were to buy errors and omission. Uh, uh, or liability insurance, yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, it it costs me ten times more than I make. So, yeah, that 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 isn't, you know, what I'm looking for. Now the yeah, other thing is, I'm incorporated, and I said, okay, Dieter, you are incorporated. You do it under your company's name. If somebody sues you, well, they can they can take my telephone and a computer, and that's about all. And and I have some equipment. Um, and they can take that, but they can't take my car or my house or you know what quote belongs to me. Is that correct? What do you think? No, Brian? I, I, you know, certainly I'm not an attorney, Dieter, so I I, I don't want to. But I mean, answer that question, but I mean, but, uh, you on the other hand, you don't have to be an attorney. I mean, yeah. you know, you know what's in the contracts, what's in the. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I buy my car insurance, and all I know is I have a $500 deductible like everybody else. I never, ever read about the coverage. <laughs> I that, that, that is pretty much true in, the, in our market right now as well. We've, I can't think of the last time that we've had a claim denied that it should have been covered. Yeah, or well, that, that the intent was there to cover that type of exposure. That's uh, and, and we have a, a pretty big increase in, in claims. Now, sometimes we'll see or have seen in the past where somebody didn't say that they were doing asbestos work or mold work or whatever it is, and they had a claim associated with that work but never informed the carrier uh, that they were even providing that service. Uh, you know, we, we've seen those types of exposures uh, uh, denied as far as claims go, but it, it's not typical at this point in time if you're insured with a, a legitimate carrier that's legitimately committed to the environmental insurance market that you have a claim that uh, is not covered when they know what you're doing. Yeah, uh, to answer your other uh, concern about cost, you know, for, for most companies now, that you know, the smaller companies, minimum premiums are down to 2500 bucks, and uh, for the larger companies, we're seeing liability rates less than 1%. Um, so typically, you know, if they, oh, well, that is, that is reasonable. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, so I, I think, uh, you know, I certainly understand some of your concerns. You know, the other thing I would say about being protected under a corporate shield, uh, my understanding from speaking with attorneys, uh, and some of those prominently in the indoor quality, uh, or environmental area is there's really only two states that you're potentially covered or you're pr- personal assets are potentially covered uh, and uh, if you were to incorporate in Nevada or Delaware and those are only if you didn't use your own personal money to start those corporations but uh, but again I'm not an attorney and that, that's okay. not something that I have a great understanding of uh, but I've heard that said uh, you know quite a few times uh, over the years hmm. yeah well I understand that yeah and I heard about Delaware and uh, Nevada and I heard about you know, some of the advantages, and I talked to my lawyers, and they said, well, it's not really worth it. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Let's put it that way. Well, Dieter, I'm curious what you thought about that mesothelioma lawsuit. You do a lot of um, asbestos defense. I mean, my first thought was, well, 12 years ago, they probably didn't develop mesothelioma from that particular project. It takes 30 to 40 years, but am, am I wrong? Yeah, well, uh, uh, I go through that. Well, we, we just heard whether it's uh, errors or, or claims made or, or whatever. It uh, it says, well, after 10 years, uh, the coverage is gone. 
if I expose the guy and let's assume uh, he's 20 years old, hypothetically, and I expose him to asbestos, and let's even say a dose that will produce uh, uh, cancer. Right. Now he get, develops cancer 30 years later. Well, I paid for it, but I don't, can't collect anymore, right? <laughs> well, that, 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 what I was trying to, to point out there was that it's real important to make sure that you carry that retroactive date as long as you can. Right. And, and not and not let a carrier limit that coverage to a short period of time. So no, you need an insurance for the insurance, right? <laughs> no, no. It's just it's being on top and aware of what your risks are. But, you know, the, the, the thing about us having the understanding or perception that it takes 30 to 40 years for mesothelioma to uh, uh, mature uh, is this was an 18-year-old boy that, that died from the disease. So his exposure was obviously sometime in that 18 years. Yeah, uh, yeah. and, and uh, they're saying that that exposure was, you know, while he was at school during a remediation project. Great point, Dieter. Are you uh, aware of any? I'm sure there are cases, obviously, where people who develop mesothelioma in less than, you know, 30 years. In this case, obviously, the kid's 18. Well, uh, it's idiomatic. I mean, uh, uh, I heard experts saying that they found uh, and. Um, and and uh, uh, mesotheliomas where there was quote no uh, asbestos exposure. Hmm. So uh, and sometimes you hear about that. The little old lady, she dies. She's seventy five years old. Never drank. Never smoked a cigarette. Needless to say, she wasn't an asbestos worker, and she dies from lung cancer. How did she get it? I don't know. Yeah. Right. I think you're making the case for insurance there because they say that they everybody asks how they get it, and then they just point out to all the exposures they've had in their life, and they all get tied in, they all get pulled in the court, right? Yeah. Yeah. So well, it's uh, next... so really what you're making the case. Uh, you're doing my job there. <laughs> yeah. The next problem is the next problem is if somebody comes down with a disease and makes the claim, yeah, now he he or she has to point out who um, the manufacturers were, who, yeah, who, who produced the products, where was there a likelihood or a possibility uh, that there was an exposure. Well, if you can't say it was A company or B company or C company, you don't have a claim. Yeah, but they and do. I was exposed to a couple of things when I was working for uh, employers and Fortunately, so far, nothing has happened, and I will not die a young guy, so that's good. Um, <laughs> but but the, the, I don't know what I was exposed to, who manufactured it. But the claim was uh, that, uh, that they were exposed. Who distributed it, and you know, does my employer, did he or she or my employer have a, uh, 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 an obligation to warn me? I think so, but on the other hand, in those days, who knew? It, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's going to be. It's a. It's a difficult. It's a difficult thing to a accuse and even more difficult to defend. Yeah. Well, and they're they're, they're accusing the contractor and the consultant of being negligent, causing the exposure. I assume whoever manufactured the product is probably long gone. So, Most likely, yes. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, I would I would assume that too. All right. Well, hey, gentlemen, I we could go on for another ten minutes here, but uh, let's uh, let's see if we can't wrap it up. Uh, what I'd like to do, Brian, is ask: Is you know, is there anything we missed you'd like to add, or any any final comments before we uh, sign off for the day? No, well, the only thing that I, I, think I would like to add is, you know, we are seeing more states move towards mold licensing. I'm sure you guys have had some uh, recent, uh, that's been a recent topic of conversation on your show. And uh, uh, as they do that, you know, there's insurance requirements that go along with that. Uh, you know, we certainly stay on top of that here at Legends uh, so that, uh, you know, we're real familiar with what states are passing, what legislation and uh, what insurance, uh, you know, they're going to require. So, you know, as those things uh, start to spread across the country, as it's just getting ready to take here, uh, take effect here in Maryland, uh, I guess uh, two days from now, uh, you know, there, there's some insurance requirements to go along with that law, and, uh, you know, we anticipate a, uh, an increase in questions when that happens. So, 
Uh, that's what we're here for is to answer questions and, and help guide people through the the, uh, the answers to those questions and make the best choices for them. Well, Maryland, you, you'll be waiting a little while on that one, I think, Brian. They they just they can't get their act together down there. I'll tell you, <laughs> they drive me yeah. crazy. They've got a law on the books that says you have to have this. Then they say they're going to enforce it July 1st of this year. And they have, you can't get a license. It's just a mess. I mean, they still don't have money to enforce the law. Um, you can't get the license. They don't have the regulation written. It's just a mess. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. I don't know if that'll happen this year or not. Uh, it's like Virginia. They had a law and they repealed the doggone thing after everybody jumped through the hoops to, uh, you know, get their licenses, nope. do the right thing. Eh, let's repeal that one. So, am, so. Am, I, am I still on? You Joe? are, Dater. Yes. Well, that reminds me of something similar years ago, and this is 30-some years ago at least, maybe 40 years ago. I had a brand-new Volkswagen, and I drove in the, at the time Czechoslovakia, and everybody looked at my Volkswagen. I mean, you know, it was a lousy Volkswagen. <laughs> and they looked in it, and people were standing around, and I said, what the heck is going on? My Volkswagen had seatbelts. <laughs> That's exactly what you say. In Czechoslovakia, you were not allowed to drive a car without seatbelts. Only problem was you couldn't buy one. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't get one anywhere. It was not available. <laughs> but you technically, you everybody who ever jumped in the car without seatbelts, and that was 99% or thereabouts, they would have gotten a ticket. <laughs> Yeah, fascinating stuff. I mean, this well, is a true story, I swear to God. <laughs> we're wondering where you came from, huh? Well, gentlemen, thanks so much. I want to, This is uh, Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks so much, Brian McFarland. I want to thank you for joining us. I also want to make sure that we thank uh, Legends Environmental Insurance for their sponsorship of the show. We really appreciate that, and I uh, hope to have you back. Let's get it a little sooner than five years uh, the next time, Brian. Absolutely. Let's do it. I appreciate uh, the time, guys, and the opportunity. And uh, uh, you know, let's do it again soon. Great, right. great to have you. And and I want to also thank the Z Man, my co-host. Z Man, great job. Yeah, it was a good show. I think the audience learned a lot. I picked up a few things. I love it. Uh, and of yeah, course, but now I'm, Guido's exposed. Guido's so exposed. Well, that's all right. Change. <laughs> <laughs> It happens. And, of course, I want to thank our technical director, Dr. Dietrich. Wow, as always, for joining us. Roxy V, Val Bender at the controls. Yep. Smooth Thanks, again in our new digs here. We've got a new desk and mm -hmm. looking out the window here. It's a beautiful day on the hill and on the mountain. Anyway, uh, most importantly, thanks to our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back. We won't be here next Friday, as no one would probably be listening. They're all going to be on break, taking the 4th of July holiday. So we'll be back on July 12th for the next episode of IAQ Radio. I got my ticket for the long way round, the one with the prettiest of views. It's got mountains, it's got rivers, it's got sights to give you shivers, but it sure would be prettier with you when I'm gone, when I'm gone. You're gonna miss me when I'm gone. You're gonna miss me by my walk. You're gonna miss me by my talk. Oh, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. This has been another IAQ Radio production.